Last chapter of Nehemiah, Nehemiah 13. On that day, they read in the book of Moses, in the hearing of the people, and it was found, written, that an Ammonite and a Moabite should not enter into the assembly of God forever. Because they didn't meet the children of Israel with bread and with water, but they hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. It came to pass when they had heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. Now before this, Eliashib the priest, who was appointed over the rooms of the house of our God, being allied to Tobiah, had prepared for him a great room, where before they laid the meal offerings, the frankincense, the vessels and the tithes of the grain, the new wine and the oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, the singers and the gatekeepers, and the wave offering for the priests. But in all this I was not at Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king, and after some days I asked leave of the king, and I came to Jerusalem and understood the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah in preparing him a room in the courts of God's house. It grieved me severely. Therefore, I threw all of Tobias's household stuff out of the room. <laughs> then I commanded, and they cleansed the rooms, and I brought into them the vessels of God's house with the meal offerings and the frankincense again. I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had each fled to his field. Then I contended with the Jews and said, Why is God's house forsaken? I gathered them together and set them in their place. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain, the new wine and the oil to the treasuries. I made treasurers over the treasuries, Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and of the Levites, Pediah. And next to them was Hanan the son of Zakur, the son of Mataniah. For they were counted faithful, and their business was to distribute to their brothers. Remember me, my God, concerning this, and don't wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for its observances. In those days I saw some men treading wine presses on the Sabbath in Judah, bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys also with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I testified against them in the day in which they sold food. Some men of Tyre also lived there, who brought in fish and all kinds of wares, and sold on the Sabbath to the children of Judah in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, What evil thing is this that you do, and profane the Sabbath day? Didn't your fathers do this, and didn't our God bring all this evil on us and on this city, and yet you bring more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath? It came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and commanded that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. <laughs> I set some of my servants over the gates so that no burden should be brought in on the Sabbath day. So the merchants and the sellers of all kinds of wares camped outside of Jerusalem once or twice. Then I testified against them and said to them, Why do you stay around the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. <laughs> From that time on, they didn't come on the Sabbath. I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and that they should come and keep the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me for this also, my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your loving kindness. In those days I also saw the Jews who had married the women of Ashdod and of Ammon and of Moab 
and their children spoke half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. I contended with them and cursed them and struck certain of them and plucked off their hair and made them swear by God, you shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Didn't Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him, and he was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women caused even him to sin. Shall we then listen to you to do all this great evil, to trespass against our God by marrying foreign women? One of the sons of Joadah, the son of Elishab the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanballat the Horonite. Therefore I chased him from me. Remember them, my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. Thus I cleansed them from all the foreigners and appointed duties for the priests and for the Levites, everyone in his work, and for the wood offerings at times appointed and for the first fruits. Remember me, my God for good. So that's the end of Nehemiah. And um, lots of interesting stuff in this chapter. <laughs> no time to cover it all. But in uh, the Septuagint, this was all one book called Esdras. And um, the book of Esdras, which is named Ezra, was originally one scroll chopped into two. It continues in the apocryphal writings. There is more of Esdras. And so we'll get to that in a few years and more interesting things to follow on. So this chapter is kind of, it, it's a sad chapter to finish off the books of Ezra and Nehemiah with because it's all the things that Nehemiah is getting frustrated with. He goes off to, he goes back to King Artaxerxes. So you know he originally was there as the cupbearer to the king. He comes to Jerusalem, he spends all this time there, they rebuild the walls, he gets things set up, and then he goes back. But while he's gone back, things deteriorate. <laughs> now you remember a few chapters ago, we talked about how they made their own covenant. They said, we promise that we're going to you know, keep the wave offering and the heap offering and we're going to keep the Sabbath. They made all these promises. They added their own words to God's words and they sealed it. Well, we see it's only just a few chapters later and they're not keeping it. And that's the nature of legalism. When you bind yourself under oaths and promises, you can't keep it. And uh, I even, when I was a kid, I made a promise to the Lord. And I said, Lord, I promise I'll read my Bible every day. Promise I will not smoke. I will not drink alcohol. will not swear. I made this promise to God of all these things. I, had to re I remembered that when I was an adult. And I went back and I cancelled my promise. I asked the Lord to forgive me and I cancelled it. It's not that those things weren't good. It's just that I, I added my own words to God's words. And I put this legalism on my life. I don't smoke. I don't swear. I don't drink, and I do read my Bible pretty much every day. <laughs> but I do it because I want to, not because of legalism. So, uh, you know, here we find in chapter 13 that they are doing the craziest things. They're not keeping the Sabbath. They're opening up the Jerusalem on Saturdays. People are coming in. They're trading. Um, they're marrying foreign women. All the things that they said just a few chapters ago they weren't going to do. And at the start of this chapter, it said that Tobiah... The Ammonite, had, he had a room in the temple and Elisha, the high priest, had invited him in. Now, do you remember way back at the start of Nehemiah, there were enemies to the rebuilding of the wall. There was Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite, and Geshur, the Arabian. Remember that? Well, Tobiah, the Ammonite, that's this guy. He was opposing <laughs> the building of the wall, 
but now in chapter 13, he's in the temple and he's been given a room. The high priest, no less, has made some kind of an arrangement with him. But we find out that the high priest's family was marrying these other people. There was intermarriage going on. And so they were somehow getting involved. Now, they may have done that on purpose. They may have thought, we don't know, just conjecture, that they couldn't you know, undermine Israel the way that they tried to do in the first seven chapters. So in the end, they are marrying into it. <laughs> so it may have been all on purpose. Who knows? But I just know that at the end, this chapter starts by saying that they were reading the law and they discovered that no Ammonite was allowed in God's presence. They were to be permanently excluded. Then the very next thing it says is Tobiah the Ammonite had a room in God's temple. So this chapter starts out by saying that according to God's law, these people, these Ammonites and these Moabites were not allowed to be a part of this. But straight away, they were welcoming Ammonites, at least this one important one, into the temple. And they were breaking the law right there. It's one of the reasons why Nehemiah got so wild. <laughs> and Nehemiah had to come all the way back from the king to sort out everything that's in this chapter. And so this is the fourth of the returns. So in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, there are four returns. Ezra comes twice and Nehemiah comes twice. And this coming this in this chapter, just to sort out all this stuff, this is the fourth one, the second return of Nehemiah. Presumably people came with him as well. So I want to say a couple of things before we finish and move into the book of Esther. In the law, it said that Ammonites and Moabites were to be excluded from God's assembly. This sounds a lot like racism, <laughs> but it's not. So when the Bible talks about this, it's not talking about race. It's talking about religion. And um, so, for example, if, if I say to you that someone is Let's think in, in, in the world we're living in right now. If I say to you that someone is Jewish, what do you think? Do you think they're Jewish because they've got a Jewish religion? Or do you think they're Jewish because they're descended from Jewish people? Well, it, the truth is it could be either of those. Just because I say something, someone is Jewish, you don't necessarily know which one it is. And so... Um, you can have people who, are, who have grown up Chinese or grown up Asian or grown up, you know, in um, Inuit, like uh, way up in the Arctic Circle. They've grown completely a non-Jewish race, but they can convert and become a Jew. So then they're Jewish. You can have a Chinese Jew. And, um, or you can have people who've grown up in a Jewish family and they're completely secular, they're an atheist. There's a lot of them. There are a lot of secular atheistic Jews. These are people who every year keep the Passover as a cultural thing. It's like what you do if you're a Jewish person. We have our annual, and but they don't even, some of them don't even believe that Moses was a real person. But it's culture, it's Jewish culture. And um, so, Jew, you know, Jewish could be race or it could be religion and there are a lot that are both. So it's the same here with uh, Ammonites and Moabites. So for example, in the book of Ruth, we met a Moabite called Ruth. Ruth was a Moabitess. She married Boaz. They had children and her great grandson was King David. So here's an example of a Moabite that was included into the family of God. And there were others like Rahab when, the, when they came to the city of Jericho in the book of Joshua, and the walls fell down in round about chapter 8, 7 or 8, somewhere there. 
Uh, Rahab is there. She's the one that helps them. She's an Amorite. And, uh, but she marries into the Israelites. So he, there's these two examples, and there are others of people. I mean, Judah, his wife Tamar, was a Canaanite. There's quite a lot of examples of people who were of other races, but they become Jewish because they accept, they basically convert and they follow the Lord. I mean, you can't read the book of Ruth and say, you can't tell me that Ruth didn't convert and follow the Lord. <laughs> she loved the Lord. She said to Naomi, she said, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your God will be my God and your people will be my people. Now, she became as Jewish as she could get, but she, even though she was a Moabite. So what it's saying here in the in in the well, what it said in the law and what it says at the start of Nehemiah 13 is that no Moabite or no Ammonite was welcomed into God's assembly. It doesn't mean the race, because those people were always welcome to become, you know, to become followers of the Lord too. It meant, meant while they were following their other gods, they weren't allowed to come and be a part of worshiping this God. The Lord wouldn't have it both ways. So they could come and follow him, but they had to leave aside their other gods to follow him. And that's actually what the Lord says to us anyway. The Lord wants you to follow him, but he wants you to leave your gods behind and make him your God. And so here's this guy, Tobiah the Ammonite, who's in the temple, but he's an Ammonite, a follower of the religion of Ammon. Uh, and so he's not left his gods behind, and it's making a mockery of what the Lord wanted. So Nehemiah, no wonder he goes wild. <laughs> And it comes back and he he just has to he has to basically sort it all out and it's exhausting. And that's why I think all the way through this chapter you keep having these spontaneous prayers. So he's telling you what he did. I did this, I did that. And then it suddenly stops for a verse and says, oh Lord, remember me. Remember my good works. <laughs> remember me. And so these remember me prayers keep popping up through here as well. Uh, so... Um, I want to finish with a thought. Uh, it's a thought about law and grace. So if we had a church today, um, if, you, if you attended a church today that, that was run the, the way that Nehemiah chapter 13 seems, you would say it was not a very nice church to be a part of. You know, imagine if you had a leader where if you didn't turn up to church on Sunday, he went to your house, he called your names, he called down curses on you and said, you know, the wrath of God is on you because you're not keeping the Sabbath holy. And then he, you know, threw things at you and pulled out your kid's hair. These are all things that have been described in this chapter. You would say, uh, this church is too legalistic and we're not being treated properly. <laughs> and so you would say, oh, I want to be a part of a church that, that is gracious. You know, we want to, you know, we're under grace. We're not under law. You'd say that. And you are. Um, but I want to say that um, even though this legalism is clearly here, it's, it's, it's good in its own way. And um, imagine this. Imagine two scenarios. Let's, well, let's, let's imagine three scenarios. Scenario number one, law only, no grace. So it's all the rules you have to do. You know, and, and, and uh, imagine this chapter 13 of Nehemiah. Law only, no grace. You're not keeping the Sabbath. You're cursed, right? Imagine it grace only. So imagine now this chapter 13, grace only, no law. Oh, it's okay if you don't keep the Sabbath. God will love you anyway. Oh, it's okay if you marry foreign women. God will love you anyway. Oh, 
if you focus entirely only on it's okay, God loves you anyway, there's no reason that people have to do what's right and very soon people will not do what's right. <laughs> everything will disintegrate into nothingness. The only way that you can have grace is if you have law and grace together. There is no real grace unless the law is there first. So if you've got a chapter where like this, but you've got the people and they repent, and they say, oh, Lord, we're sorry. We're sorry that we didn't keep your commands. Now grace flows. And uh, it's, it's because they know what they should have done, and they realize they haven't done it, and their hearts are softened before the Lord, now grace flows. And in that case, Nehemiah wouldn't have had to pelt them with stones and call them names and pull out their hair. So um, you can see how this chapter is leaning on the legalistic side. But if the best type of church to be a part of is one where grace is at work, but law is established first. And that's why law comes first in the Old Testament and grace comes second in the New Testament. Because if you didn't have the Old Testament, grace doesn't mean anything. You imagine a, a youngster who uh, gets pulled over by the police. He's, he's 15 years old and he's been driving a car. He doesn't have a license. He's also got alcohol on his breath and he's over the, the alcohol limit and he's driving on the wrong side of the road and he goes through a red light and he does about five things wrong. And so the police take him to court because there's a law, right? Now imagine number one, there was no law. You couldn't even prosecute him to start with. So there has to be a law. But imagine you take him to court and... Um, and he, he, he know, let's say he knows in advance that the judge is going to let him off. Let's say the judge is a soft pushover and the judge says, oh, you're only 15 and we're not going to worry about it this time because you're just so young. Um, and imagine he knows that's what the judge is like. It's, there's going to be no repentance there. He's just going to think he's going to get away with it. So if he goes to court and the judge says, you've done the wrong thing, this is unacceptable, and there are consequences, and they're enforced, well, the result is that he's gonna to try to do the right thing better the next time, but if he does something wrong the next time and gets caught, he's gonna come with a sorry. He's gonna have regret. He's gonna wish he hadn't done it. So you can see how the law is really needed, and the law itself also helps to bring about a change of heart. It's only when we realize that we've broken God's laws and we deserve punishment that we will cry out for mercy. But if all you've got is grace, there's no mercy. There's no crying out for mercy. There's no repentance. There's no soft heart. You've got nothing. And so um, no one wants to be in a church that's all law and no one wants to be in a church that's all grace. <laughs> but that's why we have an Old and a New Testament and they're in the order that they're in. <laughs> And we thank God for that. Lord, we thank you for the law, but we also thank you for grace. We thank you, Lord, you've called us to righteous living. And I thank you, Lord, that you forgive us our sins and you help us to live righteously. I thank you for the Holy Spirit's power at work among us. We thank you for the book of Nehemiah. And I pray that the, the, the wonderful truths that are in it would remain with us and be a source of strength to us in Jesus' name. Amen.